If you're an education leader or a visionary for improving our school mental health system, then you are definitely in the right place. I'm your host, Charlie Peck, keynote speaker and school mental health consultant. Make sure you download our free school mental health audit at thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit. And that way you can bring it back to your mental health team and assess your current system with them. That's thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit. All right, let's get started. Hi, this is Charlie Peck from the Thriving Educator Podcast, and we have Eric Francis today. Now, Eric, I'm excited to talk about Maverick Education, but mm -hmm. I really want you to tell people what lens you're coming into this, this discussion with. We're going to talk about rethinking and unlearning this stuff we're doing in education so that we can thrive. So there's a lot to, to do here, but thank you for being here and let's welcome you here first. Thank you very much for having me. I mean, um, you know, just to even tell the story, we had to reschedule because I was doing something else, but I'm glad you're actually allowing the time for me to have a forum and to talk and share ideas. Yes, because we're going to the NCMLE conference in Charlotte, and I'm excited to meet you there. And we're, we've got a lot of speakers there this year, and we were just talking about how awesome they are with support of their speakers because they love what's going on in education, what we're bringing to, to the conference. So that's why we've had a couple of these episodes with some featured speakers. But if you can't make it, I still wanted you to be here to share what you're doing because it's important work. So anyway, that's so people listening, they, they understand why we're doing this. Thank you. And thank you again for, you know, allowing me to have this forum. And I'm glad we got to talk. I like, I was talking before the last time we saw each other, we're like, hey, hey, got to run. Yeah. Me too. See you later. All yep. right. You know, High five. That's <laughs> yeah, that sometimes happens two ships in the night, you know, smile and you say you're all right, you know, and just, uh, I just made a very mental quote. And, and basically, I can't believe I just did that. And uh, basically, yeah, but I'm looking forward. I'm glad we're having a long conversation. Big fan of your work. Really love you. Have what you're doing in the mental health uh, sector here when it comes to education. And, you know, I, and I'm really glad, you know, to talk to you about it because, man, mental health more than anything these days is so essential. And it's not just for our kids. It's for all the stakeholders. What I like to call it stakeholders in education, the parents, the teachers, the community, the politicians, everybody involved. We all really got to look at this mental health and the mental health is going, what's going on there with the issues with it. It is. And the, the work that you do to tell people the work that you do in your sessions and professional development, what do you focus on? My professional development is more academic. And, and I will say that, and I'm known for that to be, you know, someone who's academic. In fact, you know, one of the things I, I got to admit to you that's been kind of a challenge is that in this world of where we get into focuses and, and, and buzzwords in education and how SEL has unfortunately become a buzzword in education, mm -hmm. I've actually had people say to me, Eric, you're academic rigor, you're not SEL. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're not two separate things that, that, that actually you, you, academic rigor is socially emotionally supportive and you are being socially most supportive by being academically rigorous, but you have to have an understanding of what those two things are. So mine is more academic. Mine is looking more at instruction. Um, how, and you said rethinking unlearn and we, we need to rethink and unlearn how, why we've been doing, how we've been doing what we've been doing because the world has changed. And, you know, we have said this in education, like the worlds have changed or the kids have changed, but now we can point to something. The pandemic changed everything. And it, we actually can quantify it, that the pandemic has changed kids and the pandemic is forcing us to rethink and unlearn. And that's uncomfortable, but 
it's okay, depending upon how you approach it. And I'm going to admit to you, Charlie, I had to change how I'm approaching it. And I'm going to hopefully talk to you a little bit all today about hopefully how you can see the change I'm making and how uncomfortable it can make me feel. But that's what we need to be as educators. We are always needing to change and change is okay. Well, and you've seen it in the last 25 years that you've been in education. I mean, you've been an author, you present everywhere, everywhere, but yeah. you've been also a teacher and administrator. You've been a program specialist, even on the state level, right? There's a state education agency you're a part of, and mm -hmm. you've been doing this training for all this time. And so you are seeing all the different shifts. So how, like, how do you notice those shifts? And then what do you do to adapt, like adapt your training or, or whatever you're doing with the educators? You know, what's really funny. It's, you know, what we call the pedagogical pendulum. Um, it's actually, I forgot who came up with the term, but my first introduction to it was, um, I used to go to uh, the first time, what changed my teaching, transformed my teaching. And I went to the, uh, differentiated instruction conference they used to have in Vegas every summer, uh, SDE used to put on. The thing I used to say about that conference is that that conference was so great. I went to every session in Vegas. Wow. That was huge there too. That's cool. Oh yeah. So that's where I got to meet um, someone who I'm pleased to say has become a colleague and friend, Rick Warmly for the first time. And he talked about, and this was when No Child Left Behind was starting. And he was talking about the pedagogical pendulum is that it swings this way. It swings that way. Now it's swinging both ways. Now we don't know where it's swinging. And, and one of the things that's really hard about education, a lot of the research I've been doing, because I, I'm always like, my question is, why are we doing this? Which is funny because that's what the kids always say. Why are we doing this? And I try right. to understand this. Yeah. And the thing that I'm, I realized about education, what the research says, is that we talk about education innovation, but education doesn't innovate in terms of new. And this is going to might be feel people feel uncomfortable. And I'm telling you about rethinking on learning because I was like, wait a minute, education is always innovative. Hmm. Not exactly. We reform. And reform is about change. But the way education reforms, would you agree to disagree, is that we either A, return to, B, rename, or C, retread, okay? Here's the interesting thing. Let me give you some examples. Let's talk about the science of reading. Right now, the science of reading is hot. And mm -hmm. I'm gonna say hot. Mm -hmm. And I like to say sexy. And when I say sexy, it's not, Provoc I mean, it's like, it's more like an advertising. Like I can stand on a, on a pulpit and go, you know, science of reading, that sounds sexy. Social emotional learning, SEL, that sounds sexy. College and career readiness, that sounds sexy. But science of reading is actually the continuation of the reading wars. That's been going on for, for, for decades in education, maybe even over a century in education. Because when I asked my friends, like, what is this science of reading? And they explained to me, well, it's about, you know, why we need to have, you know, formalized instruction and phonics instruction in reading. I'm like, are you telling me this is the battle over phonics versus whole language? Mm -hmm. and they go, oh, yeah, that's essentially it. I like, I thought we, we, we ended that war in the 1990s. <laughs> right. Okay? One of the things I'm doing in, in my, 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 my sessions now is that I'm starting with why, the whole Simon Sinek starting with why. And I say in my sessions, um, I'm gonna answer the question, why are you here? And this is my why, I came up with this why during uh, the pandemic, to ensure that teaching and learning is standards-based, socially, emotionally supportive, and student responsive, so that the experience is academic and effective for all. So I ask people, what does this mean to you? What stands out to you? And what are you not sure about? 
and they they take it in. That's a that's a strategy, academic strategy. But notice how I'm saying you to make it more socially more supportive. What are you taking away from this? Mm -hmm. So a lot of them, you know, gravitate towards standards based. A lot of them gravitate towards social emotionally supportive. And I said, no one's mentioning affective. Is it because you know what it is, or is it because you think I spelled effective wrong? <laughs> yeah. And and they all laugh like you just did. And I go, well, what's affective learning? Can anyone tell me? And maybe I'm lucky someone can explain it to me. But then someone, I said, okay, let's do what the kids do. Let's Google it. So we Google it and we read it. And I ask them, what's their source? And they read it fluently, which is a DOK one. And I say, now in your own words, what does that mean? And they struggle with it. And I go, that's a DOK too, explaining. Mm -hmm. And I said, what stands out for you in that, in that, in all those words and phrases? And they go, emotional. And I go, so what is effective learning? And they go, emotional learning. I go, right. So someone finds a definition from the CDC and it talks about the effective domain. And I go, what's the effective domain? Has any of you heard of it? And they look, I go, okay, let's do what the kids do. Let's Google it. So we Google it and I say, what do you find? And they say the effective domain of balloons taxonomy. <laughs> I said, what? I said, balloons taxonomy, you mean this thing? And I show them the cognitive domain. And I go, they go, no, it's a whole different thing. I go, oh, what this? And I show them the effective domain, receiving, responding, valuing, organizing, characterizing. So I said, this is how we emotionally learn. This is how we emotionally respond to learning. We receive it, we respond to it. We value it, we organize it, and we characterize it. And I said, let's put in simplest terms. We take it, we talk about it, we take it in consideration, and then we transfer it. And they all say, you just described the four levels of DOK or how you describe it. I go, right, so here's my question. What if we aligned the DOK levels to the wrong Bloom's taxonomy? Maybe it's not cognitive, maybe it's affective. Hello, middle-level educators. Are you looking for a nationwide type of conference at the fraction of the cost? The North Carolina Association for Middle-Level Education welcomes you to Charlotte, North Carolina, March 24th through the 26th for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference. My name is David James, NCMLE Marketing and Conference Director, and I want to personally invite you to our annual conference. You will not want to miss our keynote and featured speakers that leads over 120 middle-specific teaching and learning sessions. Our featured lineup includes EDU experts from across the country, such as principal and leadership expert Baruti Kefele, Darren Peppard, LaQuanta Nelson, Zach Bowermaster, and the host of this podcast, educational expert Charlie Peck. The NCMLE Inspire Conference is for everyone. Go to ncmle.org to register your team for the 2024 NCMLE Inspire Conference today. Wow. Well, they're mine. Yeah. So that's the thing like I'm talking about is that what can I do for teachers? Because teachers are my students and they act like the students. And, and, and we don't want to say that, but they act like the kids. when Because that's just the nature of a teacher-student relationship. When you're learning from someone, you become the student. So what can I do to make this socially, emotionally supportive for teachers? And that's a big change I've had to make as a PD person. Why did you decide, like, why did you decide to do that? Or, or what made you decide, I definitely have to now go and support those teachers? Was there a defining moment in that? Like knowing that you were doing something and it just wasn't working that made mm -hmm. you transform your perspective? 
Yeah, you know, usually in professional development, it's different than than seminars. When you do professional development, um, there's pushback. And, and I feel for the teachers because a lot of times, you know, they, teachers, the way professional development happens in school is that everybody has to attend this. Okay, well, this may not be something that they want, but you all have to attend it, okay? And the professional development I provide is very standards driven. And it's really interesting because we say, oh yeah, we teach the standards. And then you find out there's certain subject areas like, oh, I, I reference the standards or I talk about one thing in the standards or I really don't use the standards. I know what I need. So now that puts in, so what I need to do is I need to look at it from that standpoint because the pushback, the pushback, and, and it's not just me, it's a lot of us. And, 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 and Charlie, it's really sad because we're talking about this in hush whispers and we need to talk. And some of the pushback we're getting is not only unprofessional, but unkind. Um, I have had, I have had comments on, on, on evaluations that rival mean tweets from Jimmy Kimmel. And it's not about the content I'm teaching. It's about me. It's personally attacking me, you know, and I feel sometimes like I'm playing um, REM, everybody hurts behind me <laughs> when I read those. Now I don't get them a lot. It's like out of a hundred, I might get two or three, but you know, it, it's a blemish. It's a blemish on, you know, a hundred people maybe saying, thank you. Great PD ever wonderful thing. And then you get this thing you're this, you're that, you're the other thing. Or, you know, they heard half of what you said and now they're going to confuse you with something. Or, you know, this is the worst PD I ever had. Brutal, you know, does not, really, you took the time and effort to put that down. Right. You think that helps me? No, it makes me mad. It upsets me. It makes me wonder why am I bothering to do this if you don't want it? But I can't, the only person I can change is myself. And if my approach is not working, then I need to be very, very reflective and humble to say, hey, this is not working, Eric. What you're doing is not working. And that's what it used to be like when I was a teacher. It's like, well, I taught him it. That was never my attitude. My attitude was, all right, they're not getting it. So what's the way that they get it? Um, and, and that's something I've had to do. And I'm doing a lot of reading that's not education-based. Um, I'm doing a lot of reading of Simon Sinek, you know, learning at his altar, not worshiping, but learning. Um, Malcolm Gladwell at the tipping point, uh, really understanding what, how innovation looks. The real book that's really transformed me is um, Adam Grant's Think Again. And I really think not only educators, but those of us in this professional development circle, we all really need to read that book because we really need to be reflective on why we're doing, how we're doing, what we're doing. If you notice, I keep on saying that, that's what my mantra is but also how are we coming across? And he comes across, says in the book, and we can talk about it because I'm sure you, you want to talk about this stuff, but we can talk about what the roles we play, what, what, do we, what role do we fall into when our thinking is challenged or when we want to teach others and what role do we fall into? And that really transformed me. That is big. I mean, so what about that transformed you? Like what really hangs on? I think what really hangs on from that book is that when our thinking is challenged or when we teach or train, we fall into three stereotypical roles. One is the preacher. And the preacher is the person who evangelizes, sermonizes. This is the way, this is the way. Hey guys, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. Our kids need this, our kids need that. That's the preacher. You sound like a preacher, okay? And if you feel threatened or pushed back, 
you'll preach louder, you'll sermonize louder, okay? I have been the preacher about depth of knowledge. Depth of knowledge was an inaccurate concept that, that has been presented to us as an inaccurate concept. And I've been preaching that for the last 10 years. And to tell you the truth, I've been wrong, okay? Not about depth of knowledge, but how I've been presenting myself. Like, hey, the DOK wheel's inaccurate, guys. Hey, the DOK wheel's inaccurate. I got evidence to show you why the DOK wheel's inaccurate. Man, the DOK, don't use the DOK wheel. It's not about, that's what I've been sounding like. And people go, yeah, that sounds like a session I was with Eric Francis, okay? I gotcha. Then you have the prosecutor. And the prosecutor's goal is to prove you wrong. And that's where you get into those heated debates. That's where, you know, you start debating on social media with someone who calls you out or, you know, you, you have someone in the PD who's like folding your arms and going, what's the research behind this? Or, you know, well, I think this works for me. And now you're ready to fight. You're ready to throw down. The one I have a hard time with and the one I really don't like is the politician because the politician works from more of a standpoint, like I want you to like me. Hmm. So what I'm willing to do is change what I am sharing with you as, as true, as the answer, so you feel comfortable. But right. that muddles it, that waters it. So I can say my my thing, the way I've been acting lately, gosh, for probably the last 10 years, and especially with DOK, is that I've been the preacher and I've been the prosecutor because I've been shouting from the stars, DOK wheel is inaccurate. DOK is about what comes after the verb. And I've been also the prosecutor because if you push back on me, I'm going to throw down with you. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm, I'm from New York and my dad was a fighter and I'm a fighter and I love to fight politician. I compare myself to Tom Hanks in the league of their own, where he's like, you're not hitting the ball. That's how I feel. I can't be political about it. And that's hard. Now there's a fourth one. That's the scientist. And the scientist is someone who's always learning but their ideas don't become ideology. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is that their hypotheses and theories are the ideas, but until they can prove it as law, they have to accept and realize, and they're wanting to say, hey, where am I wrong in this? What am I not getting in this? What, why is this not working? Yeah, this, this, this is what I think, feel, and believe. I have evidence to support it, but someone else it's, it's kind of like the thing like when somebody comes out with an idea or a theory 10 other researchers have a, now a job to either defend or refute it that's you know? right and getting your doctorate's all about that i mean how many people say when you get your doctorate don't try to come up with your own theory try to defend or refute somebody else's hmm. and and that's the that's the humility that i've been learning and i know i'm a work in progress to do as a professional development person to say you know what I always need to figure out what is, what's the way here's, here's what it is, but it's not working. So what do I need to do to change? What do I, and it's not being a politician. It's me changing. So my students, my, my teachers and my, and my audience feel better. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that because a lot of us, we write books and we, we do things and, and, you know, this is our way. You know, that book's a reflection. You see the books on my shelf back there. Those books are the reflection. Me, sorry, my, my Zoom. Doesn't, <laughs> I don't know why it comes Video. thumbs up. That. Yeah, you. It's funny. Um, so um, that's a reflection of my thinking over time at, at, at that time period. But my thinking is always changing, and I really have to be sensitive about that, about how I'm coming across. Because right now, teachers they can't do one more thing, and and we 
can't ask them to do one more thing. And right. and I know when a teacher acts a certain way or responds a certain way, I'm trying to be more empathetic and understanding to say, okay, why are they acting that way? Maybe I remind them of somebody in their life. May I remind them of their, their father, their brother, their husband, their ex-husband, ex-boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, there was another great book. I think it's an Oprah book. I think it's called Whatever Happened to You. And it talks about, because you talk about mental health. Are you aware of that book? I'm aware of the book. I haven't read it, but I understand what it's what it's talking about. Mm-hmm. There was a there was an amazing passage in there that talks about um, there was a boy in elementary school and he was a terror in all the classes, just horrible. Okay, so what do we typically do in elementary school if the boy is acting bad? Let's put him with a male teacher. Maybe he functions better with a male. He got worse. You know why he got worse? Because when they finally did the psychological pro um, um, analysis on him, they found out that the male teacher, the reason why he got worse is because the male teacher had the same aftershave as the relative who was sexually abusing him. So I have to look at that as to why they're acting that way. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, Charlie, we as presenters should not have to deal with unprofessionalism and someone being unkind, okay? And and, and that is not appropriate. And I'm going to say that right now. I mean, I, I, I enjoy working with teachers. I enjoy teachers. I, I empathize with teachers right now. But we should not have to um, put up with unprofessionalism and, and unkindness. And, and I've experienced it. I've had people who, you know, they, they, they've had, you know, what makes you the expert? What makes you this? I'm like, I'm not. You know, it's like yeah. if they're acting like the way, I mean, the comparison I've had is that if these were kids in the classroom, then traditionally what we probably would have done is sent them down to the principal's office. Mm-hmm. And I can't do that with an adult. And the adult will has that power and that leverage to say to their principal, I don't want that teacher to come back. And I'm not because the, the teacher doesn't like me. The teachers don't like me for whatever. Right. I'm but when the kids do that, what do the principals say? You need to work this out. Mm-hmm. That's also changed the conversation I've had with leaders to say to them, are we in agreement that, um, the, that the kids need this? The kids need DOK, the kids need questioning. Do, are, do, are we in agreement that this is what the kids need? Yes. What do we do if the teachers don't want it? What do you mean they don't want it? Yeah. Well, what do we do if they don't want it? Well, they should want it. And I joke around, oh, absolutely. This is great stuff. <laughs> but what if they don't want it? Good question to ask the leaders. It, it's valid. Yeah. Yeah. Or and it's not what if they can't do it, but what if it doesn't lend to what they do in the classroom? Okay. The standards driven courses are usually the four core content courses, math, English language, arts, science, and social studies. In PE, they're usually these very abbreviated standards that say, do this. And the art stairs have become so abstract that it's like, okay, so I just want to teach them how to appreciate art and do art. I don't see this. So what I've actually been said is that, you know, well, who wants this? And if they want this, have them get the training and let them be the one who lead, leads it because they're going to trust their staff members much more. Than they trust me, this guy who flies in and, you know, would we teach our kids from a teacher in two to six hours that they have, the teacher has to introduce the concept, they have to practice the concept, and they have to master the concept within those two to six hours from a teacher you may never, ever see again. Right. We wouldn't do that to kids, so why are we doing that to adults with professional development? Yeah. So in a very large nutshell, that's how I've kind of been changing my approach. 
Yeah. And you're adapting and, and I appreciate that you are being honest about that because it's true. There is definitely pushback. I address that a lot, getting teacher buy-in. They have to be there. They don't, a lot of them are tired, overwhelmed. They just don't want more shoved down their throats, but it's important. And I like that you're approaching it with the effective learning piece. So let's, let's talk about the unlearn piece here then. So mm -hmm. what about, what about, about what we're doing, then do we need to unlearn rather than rethink? What do we need to unlearn? Well, Charlie, it's interesting to say that because I don't think we can unlearn without rethinking. Okay. And I think that's what we need to do first is to rethink before we unlearn. If I come in and I say like Yoda in the Empire Strikes Back, when Luke is trying to, you know, lift the, uh, uh, the X-wing out of, you must unlearn what you have learned. Mm -hmm. Luke, if you remember, he goes, okay. you want the possible and he walks off. Right. We have to rethink. Rethinking means this. The data and information has changed and the situation has changed. And we need to look at the data and information and the situation to rethink why we do, how we do, what we do. If I can give an example, um, depth of knowledge, DOK. I can come in and say the DOK wills an accurate and produce all this stuff to you. Okay, great but there's new data and information. Norman Webb, finally after 10 years, has written an article in Edutopia saying, don't use the DOK wheel. I didn't create it. It's not what DOK is, okay? Hmm. So we have the data and information. This is the guy who created it, who said, right. don't use it. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I cannot tell you the productive struggle and the cognitive dissonance I've had from teachers who are going, yeah, but it's, it's, I compare it to once upon a time, we all believed the world was flat. And then Galileo came along and said, no, it's round. And he proved it, even though there was an Egyptian scientist that proved it centuries before, but he proved it. If you don't listen to the data or look at the situation and continue to do why you do, how you do, what you do, because it works for you or it works for a small group of people, you are not on, you are not basically changing. You're not rethinking. And it's not about us. It's about everybody else. Like I could sit there and be like this and I'll sound very familiar. What if um, school calls me in and go, Eric, the teachers are not getting it. Well, I taught it. Hmm. I taught it. Right. Yeah. But my teachers aren't getting it. Well, Sorry. What if I said there's actually school leaders who tell me, yeah, my teachers are not ready for this. They're never going to be ready for this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we need to rethink. So instead of me going into this deep, entertaining presentation about why the DOK wheel is inaccurate, I present and I said, this is inaccurate. Here's the data information. The guy who created it said, don't use this anymore. End of conversation. That's mm -hmm. it. We need to rethink what we've learned. So it's really interesting. So I was just at a PD and somebody said to me, so what you're telling me is that we're all wrong. I go, no, what I'm telling you is that once upon a time you were right, but now the data and the information has changed. So we may be wrong. I'm wrong every day. It's, it's, it's uh, 12 o'clock here. I was wrong five times. Just ask my wife and kids. They told me I was wrong all the time. <laughs> and I have to accept that. Yeah. Okay, we're all wrong and we're all right. And we have to figure out and look at it that. And that's why I'm by rethinking. It's like, we can't teach the kids like the way we taught them before the pandemic. Tom Herrick, my buddy Tom Herrick likes to say that school does not exist anymore. Hmm. And every system has changed and rethought how they do business, why they do, how they do, what they do, except for education. We 
reformed. We went back. Okay. We didn't move forward. How do you get food now? How do you get transportation? You don't take a taxi, you Uber. What's your movie going habits? Oh, I'll wait till that comes on streaming. Or what's on streaming now? Okay. Or even the movie studios are like, nah, this is not going to do good in the theater. Let's just put it to streaming. Okay. Right. We need to rethink before we can unlearn. And you have to be willing to unlearn so you can learn. And if you don't want to learn new tricks and if you don't want to learn new things, that's a leadership thing. You need to look at that as a leader. You need to, another thing I'd, I'd recommend is looking at Everett Rogers' uh, theory of in, uh, diffusion innovation. Who are your innovators? Who are your early adopters? How do you cross the chasm to reach the early majority and late majority? And what do you do about your laggards? And that's another thing that I've been doing because if we're going to really innovate, I have to look at that. So your innovators are like, these are the people who in the real world, um, they sleep out at Apple to get the first iPhone. Yeah. They sleep out at Star Wars movies to be the first in there. The early adapters are like, I like to learn. I like to change. But there's a huge chasm between what we call early adopters, the people who are willing and wanting to change, and the early majority who are like, I'm not too sure about this. I'm really, really unsure about this. That makes 34% of your population. And the late adopters who are like, well, let me see how this works before I buy into it. Your laggards are your 16%. Now, for some reason, education, everyone goes, we need to get the laggards on board. I need to get the laggards on board. No, the laggards will choose whether they get on board or not. Mm -hmm. As a leader, you need to talk to the laggers and say, this is the direction the school is going. This is what we're going to be doing. You have a choice. You can either learn and be a part of it, and we will support you every single way possible because we know it's going to be uncomfortable for you to change. Or you don't want to change, and you need to, make, you need to consider some things. That's mm -hmm. a hard conversation. This may not be the school for you anymore. And that's okay. It is okay. Or uncovering the barrier. Why, why are you not willing? Kind of like a therapeutic session with right. who's got right. a problem they're not willing to shift out of. What is keeping you there? And then you're going to choose to stay there or not. But it does and, get back to choice. It does. And it's and it's okay. I mean, how many times I can't tell you, I'm, I'm talking to so many teachers. There's a disagreement between your administrators and the teachers, and the teachers like, well, I'll outlast them. Fantastic. So you make your lives both uncomfortable and miserable. Right. You know, or that if that administrator is supported by the superintendent, you're the one who's going to be with the pressure on. Okay. Or you're just going to hope in a dream someday that they 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 leave before you do. We got to be happy in why we do, how we do what we do. And if we're not happy where we are and we say this is where it's going, then we as teachers who don't want to change need to make a hard decision. I may not be a part of this. I've had so many teachers say to me, hey, you know what? You presented. Thank you. You've convinced me to retire. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't want to do that. No, it's okay. If this is where education is going, I don't know if I can do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that because sometimes some people are afraid to make that move. And, and the laggards have to choose. But what the laggards cannot do is be disruptive or destructive mm -hmm. or knock the train off the tracks. They can't say, well, I don't want to do this and you shouldn't do it either. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go and go convince everyone why this is not good.
that's not good because that hurts the kids. It does hurt the kids. And then the leaders need to identify that and then have that conversation. Yeah. Wow. So what is your, okay. So what is your session topic at NTMLE? Well, my session topics, I have two. Okay. The first is going to be, and you know what? I called it redefining rigor for depth of knowledge. And I've changed that. I, I wish I can get in there. Maybe I should call Dave and say, Dave, can I change it? And he'll probably go, no, we already printed everything, but that's okay. <laughs> I've changed myself to say, we need to rethink rigor with depth of knowledge, or maybe even rethink depth of knowledge. So my session is called redefining rigor for depth of knowledge. But what we're going to do is that we're going to rethink it. And we're going to rethink how we look at standards. And my message is that the standards are what it means to demonstrate proficiency in that content area at that grade level. That's the prof academic profile of a, of, a, of a student at that grade level in that content area. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is we need to respond to instruction intervention to find out where are they on that pathway to proficiency. Mm -hmm. So that's the first session, how we do it with depth of knowledge. What are we supposed to look at? The other one is going to be based on my new book called Inquiring Minds Want to Learn. And I'm going to talk about what it means to have an inquiring mind. As you can see, hopefully I've demonstrated, I have an inquiring mind. I am always asking questions. I am always, you know, what's that or why? You know, like I will sense something or I will, or I will speculate something and then I want to learn about it. That's how I got to read all these books. Like, hey, this isn't working. Why? And then someone said, did you ever read Simon Sinek? And I'm like, well, I got that on my Kindle. I never really opened it. Go mm -hmm. read it. I read it and then I see the recommendations and it's funny, Sean Galliard, he was reading Hidden Potential and I thought he was reading Think Again. So I texted Sean. I said, hey, Sean, thanks for recommending Think Again. I just read it. It changed me. He goes, no, I'm reading Hidden Potential, but why should I read Think Again? <laughs> so, you know, it, it's kind of like how we do. And I really think that and, and I think we need to look at us as presenters and I think us as presenters, um, you know, Charlie, we talk about gratitude, but I think we need to also talk about grace. I think we need to show grace to our teachers. It, we can be grateful to it, but I think we need to show grace to our teachers going, look, you know what? You're having a rough time. What can I do to make this amenable for you so it works for your kids? What can I do? Not amenable, but what can I do to make this um, accessible to you? And Charlie, I think we need to show be grace to each other as, as presenters. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where a lot of us kind of knock each other out of that spot mm -hmm. or, you know, I, I'm, if, if I can be so bold to say, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but sometimes we have to look at how much we may be charging because it's not allowing the other person to come in and do the work. I can't tell you that, and I'd be very bold and I, and I hope I, I, I want to be as respectful as possible. The professional development I do is not one and done. It's, it's a relationship. But I can't tell you how many times, well, we can't do this this year because we paid nine, $10,000 for um, a convocation keynote and that wiped out our title too. Hmm. And, and I think that's the thing, or what are you doing to come back? And I think that's why I'm at Grace. If I can give you an example, there's a district I'm working with and um, they misunderstood the cost of my PD. They thought that was gonna be for both times I was coming, not each time. And I'm a pretty fair price because I put in travel and lodging. So I said, wait, 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 wait. Don't let money be the reason why we don't do this. What's going on? And they told me, they said, look, if I come back and say it wasn't for both times, it was each time I could possibly lose my job. I could. And I said, OK, here's what we're going to do. I said, I know you want me to work with the teachers. Don't do it right now. We got them in a good groove. Say, OK, great. We just gave you the teaser trailer. 
for 24, 25. You're going to be doing DOK. You're excited. I'm telling you right now, knowing me, if we had another session, they'll probably get turned off and frustrated because I'm not coming back to September. Right. But let's make the teaser trailer. Right. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're still going to have it at that cost, but because you're hosting me for other districts to come, that's the total cost for both times. Okay. It usually would have been double that, but I'm saying that because I care about the relationship with you. But do you want to commit to work with me for the next year? Yes. Then that's what we do. And I think we need to look at that. And I think we need to look at that because a lot of us are kind of pushing not only ourselves out of that space to work with that district. Like, I don't want to charge so much money that you can't come in and do what you do. Right. I don't want to charge so much money that, you know, the, the conferences for me to keynote have to jack up the attendance price because for one hour I'm, I'm, I'm charging this amount of money. And, and Charlie, I think we really need to look at that. And I'm, and I'm also doing this, not so being critical, but critical think because next year the ESSER funds are gone. Yeah. These districts do not have the money to pay us what they've been paying us. We've been doing pretty well. This is like the dot-com boom for us who do this in this world. Next year, they're not going to have the budget. And if the elections turn out the certain way that they do, mm -hmm. way we get funded may not be there. So we need to start looking at it. What is the intentional? Are you trying to build relationships or are you trying to just basically, okay, are you trying to be a preacher or are you trying to be a supporter? Okay, are you there to evangelize? Or are you there to educate, make change and evolve? And that's the thing, because I can tell you right now, honestly, I've talked to a lot of schools. I said, hey, you had so-and-so come at the beginning of the year. How'd it go? Oh, it was great. It was fantastic. Kicked off the year. I said, okay, it's now October. What happened? Uh, it, it's gone. Yeah. Are you yeah. bringing them back? No, I can't afford to bring them back. That not only hurts the teacher, that hurts you as the presenter. Yeah. And I, and I wish more people, Charlie, would do that. And it, it's it's it hurts me to see that. It hurts me to see, you know, you can get a lot of money out of this. You can make a lot of money out of this. And a lot of people want to get into what you and I do because they're like, oh, wow, you guys make a lot of money doing this. Or, oh, wow, you get to go and travel here and there. and every That's not why we do how we do what we do. You know, that's the reason and result. That's what Simon Sinek does it. You want to know why I do what I do? To ensure that teaching learning is academically rigorous, socially most supportive, student responsive, so that the experience is academic and effective for all and that's not about me you know and i always tell my my clients don't make money the reason why we don't do this and if your teachers are uncomfortable don't just say yeah they didn't like it we're not bringing you back all right let's figure this out do you think the kids need this yes so what do i need to do to make this and i'm willing to do that that's okay. thinking of the scientist yeah that is adapting i mean it is and and you're looking out for the kids so you want to work with the adults in the building surrounding them. So I love that you're doing that. That's great. Okay. Yeah. Well, how do people get in touch with you then? Because if they're not going to Charlotte for the conference, which I hope they, they do, if you don't live in North Carolina, you all, you can still go to this conference, please check it out. It's the inspire conference, 2024 It's coming up in March. Can't wait. Can't wait to see you guys there too. A lot of great speakers there and we're all supportive of each other. Aren't we? That's what I love. Yes. I do. Yeah. Like and yeah. that's the thing. Like I had dinner with Darren Papar the other night. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, and and that's the thing, and contacting people and, and being excited. I'm excited to see you. I'm excited to see Brandon. I'm excited to see so many people there. Katie Kinder, I'm excited to meet her the first time. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. And I think that's also the thing. And kind of like the, the way I, and it was funny, I was talking to someone about this the other day, is that, do you know what made Arsenio Hall such a great um, talk show host and why Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon are so great? What's that? Because they're as much of a fan of their guests as the guests are a fan of them. When you used to go on Johnny Carson, it was a privilege. When you went on David Letterman, David Letterman's like, ah, oh, it's all about me. And to an extent, Stephen Colbert's like that. But the magic of Arsenio Hall and Jimmy Fallon and, and, and Jimmy Kimmel is that the guest is much of a fan of them as they are of the talk show hosts. So there's times like I'll go like, I mean, I don't know if you remember last year, I was like, you know, Charlie Peck, you know, and like I shout at you like, wait a minute. You know, yes, I remember. You from Twitter, I know you, and now I'm getting to meet you, and I know your work, and I'm a fan of you. And then people go, Eric Francis. I go, where? Oh, <laughs> no, it's like it's like you know, it's like if you're Eric Francis. You're this. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? I still can't get my free Starbucks. I can't walk into every Starbucks around the world. They go venti coffee, splash coconut milk, two ice cubes, cool it down. I think that's the great thing about NCMLE and what they're doing with us is that we're all fans of each other. We're all excited to each see each other, and yeah. I'm telling you. When you see that, it's infectious and it, it's it's the pandemic we want to have where basically everyone catches this, you know, this bug to learn. And I'm so excited for that. So uh, to keep in touch with me, you can go to my website, um, maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, education.com. Um, and you can email me at eric at E-R-I-K at maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, education.com. There's no C in Maverick. It's Madison, Avery, and Amanda. And also, I'm a huge fan. Top Gun. I don't know if you can see this behind me, but my family for Christmas, they made a movie poster. And it's oh, called my gosh. Maverick. And <laughs> I see it. They took a picture of me off of when I was at PMLE because last year's theme was superheroes. So someone brought a Captain America shield that was from uh, the Winter Soldier and I have a picture. So my wife and kids for a Christmas present, they made this whole thing and, you know, like a movie poster about Maverick. Yeah. But yeah. So, so my website, maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, education.com. My email, eric at maverickeducation.com. No season, eric, no season, maverick. And my Twitter handle is maverick, M-A-V-E-R-I-K, E-D-U-1-2. And what I do offer on the website is this. There's a chat bot. If you ever have a question about questioning or depth of knowledge or something or want to get in touch with me, text me. It goes right to my phone. It goes right to my watch. And you also can schedule a time to work with me. Um, and if you work with me as a district, um, after I leave with the one and done as part of the package, you, your teachers can go into a tier two, tier three with me, but that's like a gym membership. Just because I give you the gym membership doesn't mean I'm going to tell you to use it. You have to choose to use it. Hmm. That's important too. We do have the choice if we're going to move forward or not. So thank you. Right. Well, good. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait to see you and this will go live before then. So people will hear it before they get to the conference. I hope they stop in and check out what you're doing because it's important work too. Thank you. Thank you for having me in this forum. Thank you. Thank you for letting me be humble and honest. You know, I want to tell you, you're the first person I started talking about this actually live where, you know, I've had to say I'm a work in progress, you know, and I've had to listen to the feedback. I mean, I, I'm the, honestly, I got a feedback go, well, we're afraid to bring you in because you're going to tell everyone they're wrong and you're right. And I'm like, <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not what I want to do. Wait a minute. Is that what I'm conveying out there? And it's not that I'm right and they're wrong is that again, rethink and unlearn. 
And 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 at some point I'm going to write a book on that. And and I really want to thank you for giving me this forum. And I want to tell you that the work you're doing is wonderful and and real so needed. And and it's really great to have someone like you out there looking out there and looking out for the mental health, not just of our kids, but also our teachers, our parents, and all the stakeholders in education. So thank you for what you do. Mm, I appreciate that. And you know, we would have never been able to say that about each other if we didn't know each other. So. Right. It, this is just communal and I appreciate that. So thanks for being here. And I hope people go and check out your website because that there's a lot of great stuff there. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Did you get your school mental health audit yet? You can go and get it at thrivingeducator.org forward slash audit. And if you're working on mental health PD planning right now, you can check out all the ways we can support you while you're on our website right there. And it's under professional development. So just go check that out. And listen, if you found today's episode valuable, please share it in your network so you can benefit others. And if you could give it a a rating and a review, that would really help us get the word out. Thank you so much for listening.